for today. Thank you for a day of worship, a day of new beginnings, a day of resurrection. And we pray this morning as we can continue to consider how we can go about raising children to the glory of God, filling the earth with godly children and uh, young adults and new families. We pray, Father, that you'd grant us wisdom and grace, love in our households, understanding between parents and children, and uh, help us, Lord, to never give up, to press on, to be diligent in this calling. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I had originally, in my dreams, hoped to condense this lesson, which is on transition or dating, or uh, I'll, ha- I'll have some other words we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but I realize there's just too much material here. I can't cover it in one lesson. So we're, uh, and it's too important a topic to rush through. So we'll just take whatever time we need, and if we need to come back later, uh, we can do that. So, um, the title of this is Transition, uh, Getting Them Across the Threshold. So you've been raising your kids, you know, we get new babies, we're all excited about the new babies and the birth announcements, and, uh, and then obviously from there we have the terrible twos. And then from there, all the other phases of life that come along, the teenage years. But now we're toward the end of the teenage years, and we're thinking in terms of how do we make sure our children, who are now uh, on the threshold of being adults, uh, how do we continue to serve them, to love them, to direct them? Uh, And obviously, every phase presents new challenges. Um, Let's begin with some definitions and terms. Um, I'm going to talk about three words here just to lay it out on the table and then suggest something else. Uh, So the denotations, the word date is from the Latin data, thus dating, of course, must be classical in origin, right? Um, A social appointment, an engagement, or an occasion arranged beforehand with another person. Uh, thus, to go out on a date on, uh, on Saturday night is to have an appointment and to go somewhere with somebody else. That's the kind of the, the, uh, the denotation. Uh, to court is from the Latin word cohort, is uh, to attempt to gain favor. And betrothal is a mutual promise, an engagement, or a contract for a future marriage between the persons who are betrothed. So those are some words that come up as we think about this. Uh, But what do such terms mean? Uh, We must not only deal with the denotations of terms, but also with the connotations uh, that go with them. For some, the whole thing is quite simple. A date is when a young man or a woman go out together on their own, and courtship is when a young man goes through the young woman's father Uh, And as far as it goes, that's fine, but what are the connotations? For some Christians, dating calls to mind a series of bad experiences in the backseat of a car somewhere, and for some others, it recalls a number of pleasant and happy memories leading to a wonderful marriage. The term courtship is even more problematic 
as more and more Christians respond to the problems created by our unbelieving culture's method of pairing off, uh, they are adopting the pattern of courtship. But they are also bringing in, I believe, and have brought in some extra-biblical connotations as they do so. For some, courtship means that we must all become kind of retro prairie muffins and you know, go back to the good old days. And, uh, and I think that's created a number of big problems. The one, uh, and the one being courted wears, you know, perhaps a gingham dress and a bonnet and the he rides over on a horse from the ranch after church on Sunday. That's kind of the picture uh, that some people have. And then they sit on the front porch just a swinging. And uh, others go even further back uh, with the phrase courtship making them think of Camelot and, and maidens in distress. And this is actually a little closer to the origin of the word courtship. Courtship originally derives from the Latin, as I said, cohorts, which uh, cohorts, which means we get where we get cohort, and it means an enclosed courtyard uh, that included a group of men that would assemble in the yard there to pursue young ladies in the court. So we're bound to use uh, whatever terms we select in a qualified sense. Some couples who date are in closer conformity to biblical principles than other couples who embrace the courtship model. If a courting couple goes on a date, we should not panic. Uh, I just want to say personally, I don't like either term that much, but I can't think of a better one. Uh, the problem is not what, it's not what we call something, it's, what, it's how it works itself out in practice. So I don't care what you call it, uh, and I don't think we need to get hung up on that. That's not going to fix the problem. So you can uh, call it what you will. Um, I'm calling it, I don't have a, a, a nice short name, I just call it covenant transition. And so, uh, because what's happening is we're going, you know, your children are a member under your covenant headship in your household, under their parents, where they're cared for, where they're instructed, where they have... God's protection, they're prayed for, they're disciplined, they're led in the everlasting way. And the goal is to get them from there to a place where they can establish their own household. A new husband and a new wife. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two become one. And that's going to be part of our sermon today as well. So the goal is to get from one covenant household to another covenant household and to get there in, in good shape, to get there in a wise way, to get there safely. And so uh, I have no clever name, uh, again, for the subject, but regardless of what we call it, it is a subject that likely will cause some anxiety. In the context, uh, well... How we, so this is how we move from one covenant household to another. Teens and young adults get nervous when the church starts speaking on this subject because they fear that their liberty is about to be restricted. Parents of teens and young adults sometimes get nervous when the church speaks on this subject because they'd really rather not deal with it. Both parents and young people often fear following God's word. 
we're afraid. I don't really want to know. I want to do it my way. And I don't want God's word coming into play here. And that's where the danger comes in. But it is the duty of the church, which is the pillar and the ground of truth, to provide instruction from Scripture, knowing that the truth will set you free. We'll examine and warn of the dangers on either side of of the truth and seek to provide a clear path for a successful transition to the establishment of a new and faithful Christian household. And it's likely that we'll have all sorts of people present with different, that, that we do have all sorts of people present with different understandings and even agendas. Some parents and young people have a long history of diligent and faithful obedience to God's Word, while others have been much more selective and sporadic in their obedience. The more mature are eager to hear and receive instruction from the Scriptures, like the Bereans who receive the Word with all readiness of heart. Um, And they're eager to apply God's Word to this process, trusting Him along the way. Others are are determined to do it their way and worry about the consequences later, and there will be consequences. For the first group, this study will provide you with a roadmap, I believe, to future covenant blessings. For the second group, this instruction will be one more obstacle to be ignored. And so I'm asking you to, as you come to church, to come to hear God's Word, to hear God speak. He loves you. He desires for you to know His blessings especially as it relates to your marriage and to your children. To disregard him on this vital subject is to invite misery and disaster. While forgiveness can be obtained for foolishness, the consequences of foolishness live on. Who you marry and how you marry are among the most important decisions a person ever makes. Why would that be left only for a sinful heart to determine what's best? Parents, why would you provide, uh, instruct, and protect your children only to turn them loose at the end and risk seeing them in ruin? Ninety percent of the way home is not good enough. So I've taught on this subject several times. It's actually been a number of years, I think, since I've taught on it here. I've also had experience with my own children, all of which are happily married to godly husbands or wives. I've seen mistakes, foolishness, and abuse, abuses from all, in all directions, along with the tragic consequences that flow from them. Much of what a pastor does is minister to those who did it their way. Much of the mess can be attributed to a church that refused to speak to these issues, these vital issues, in a clear way. And as always, I have benefited greatly from the work of others that they've done on this subject. There are lots of books and lots of information out there. I've read I don't know how many. uh, And so I've tried to incorporate every good idea that I could find and to make use of it. So here we go. So we begin, as we do with most subjects, we come into this world ignorant, 
And uh, oftentimes as we're entering into new phases with our kids as parents, because it's new, we haven't perhaps thought about it as much, or uh, now it's upon us and now it's time to, uh, to deal with it. And of course, again, very few people actually do. Very, very few people ever read a book on, a, on something like this or have a discussion or hear a lesson or talk about it with their uh, husband or wife and have a plan. And let me just say this. My goal uh, in most things, and certainly in this thing, as I look out here and say, every family is going to be a bit different. Every kid, every young person is going to be a bit different. Every circumstance is going to have to be evaluated. That's what wisdom does. Wisdom is not wooden. Wisdom doesn't come up with, here are the three things you need to do. Now, everybody, we have to all do them just alike. We have to goose step together and do it exactly the same way. That is a mistake. Okay, We have some fundamental things that we should all be together on. We are here to glorify God and enjoy Him forever and to teach our kids to do that. We are here to protect them. We are here to teach them how to be wise and to continue to do our job as parents. Those things we should be agreed upon, and the Bible itself is the standard to which we appeal. Too many parents are confused and untaught. They don't have a theology of the family that enables them to negotiate the transition of their children into new households. What are they to do when their children are interested in the opposite sex? How do they get them safely to the other side. Parents uh, are oftentimes, they oftentimes want to help their children, but they feel helpless. And children, under the pressure of our culture, have been lied to. Parents are portrayed as old-fashioned or, not, uh, or as not understanding young people. Kids think they should be able to do whatever they want to do. They think they are equipped to handle romantic relationships without guidance and without limits. We don't have to look very far to see the disastrous results of this ignorance, both the ignorance of parents and the ignorance of young people. Just look at our culture, look at the mess we're in, the individualistic view of the family, the broken homes, the cultural influences, the illegitimate births, the abortions, the disease, the heartache is incalculable. Consider the poor state of relationships in our culture. Serial promiscuity, abortion, children born to single mothers, living together, divorce. Our cultural solution to these problems is to just do more of the same. And I'm not even taking the time. Uh, since I initially prepared this lesson some years ago, just think of how far this culture has slidden. Has, has slidden? That doesn't sound right. How far it has gone downhill. <laughs> I don't know. I need some help with that word there, somebody. Um, Particularly in the area of sexual relations, you know, all the, the, it's all about, you know, doing what you want to do when you want to do it and you defining things the way you want to do it and not listening to God. It's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. 
God is not going to tell us what's good and evil, what's right and wrong. He's not going to tell us how to do it. We, we can do this all by ourselves. And again, because we're sinners, we're all tempted in that direction. The fact that we're Christians should be calling us to deny ourselves and to, to say, you know what, uh, as, as Jeremiah says, the whole head is sick. Uh, I'm sick. I need God's Word to direct me and give me some clear thinking on this most important thing that I'll ever do in this world. Everything's riding on it. And so our cultural solution, as I said, is, is to these problems is to do more of the same. The worse our trouble gets, the more faith we have in our methods and procedures. We just need to uh, double down. The starting point for most of our marriage relationships, the modern recreational dating system, uh, I can, I, I'll just simply say it is bankrupt. It often starts as young as junior high. We're going to start dating when we're 13, 14, 15. And dating can be anything. It can just be we're going out, we're going with a bunch of our friends, and, you know, I could, I know from talking to many of you, uh, and this is not the time or the place, but the, the stories that we can tell of what was going on at 13, 14, and 15 is, you know, we're not naive. It's what people do, and they get in serious trouble. And we all know people. We all have seen the damage that can come. And, some, and it comes sometimes to some of the best people. And so kids, young people, when your parents are trying to deal with this, they love you. They, they have given their lives for you. They gave you life. They, they, have, they do everything to see that you end up happy, healthy, and prospering in this world. And when it comes to this issue of relationships, please don't shove them to the side and do an end run or, or try to hide things from them. You will get hurt if you do that, I promise you. And, and hurt may be an understatement. They love you. They will be there for you when nobody else is. They would lay down their lives for you, and you need to remember that. They are not your enemy when it comes to this issue. They are your friend. They want, you know what they want more than anything? They want you to find a wonderful person, a wonderful Christian man, a wonderful Christian woman, and to marry them and to start raising wonderful Christian grandchildren for them. That's what they want. So they're on your team. They're on your side. But in this modern system, we just, uh, you know, a guy is notices a girl who attracts him, and he asks her out, and she agrees, and they start going together, and one of two things happens. Either they like each other or they don't, and both possibilities bring problems uh, in their train. If neither one likes the other, then they both have had a bad experience. If they both hit it off, then the eventual temptation to immorality is strong, especially if they happen to pair off young, let's say at 14. Glad you kids like each other. Now don't touch anything for eight more years. Okay, Mom. Of course, if 
one is interested in staying together and the other one isn't, the possibility for emotional difficulties uh, and complications are really endless. If the young man and the young woman see one another more than just a few times, it's very easy for them to both drift into a zone of vulnerability. Emotional vulnerability, sexual vulnerability. And this zone of vulnerability is that place where one can't leave the relationship without getting hurt. At some point in a relationship, the man or the woman will come to the place where if they break up, they get hurt. And once people are inside that zone of vulnerability, uh, it can be quite a snarl. As long as he or she is outside that zone, they are not threatened at all by a relationship. It's still only a potential relationship. So friendship. We want to encourage friendships between boys and girls. But when they start pairing off in a romantic way at young ages where they can't have any possibility of doing anything about that lawfully in a godly way, and then trouble is ahead. And of course, in a relationship, the degree of vulnerability they feel toward one another will depend upon a number of factors. If a couple went out only uh, went out three or four times, uh, there may not be much damage, but that will come after they each have seen 20 people three or four times. Some things accumulate. With another couple, if they've dated three, uh, for three years and have been good friends and have not behaved themselves sexually, a breakup is nothing less than a divorce without attorney's fees. God does not permit us to get in this zone without building a fence of protection around us. That fence is a covenantal oath. It's what we call marriage. A covenant of permanent and faithful sexual union is made before God and numerous witnesses. The man and the woman each declare that they're going to go together into this zone and they're going to stay there. And they will live there for the rest of their lives. But in our culture, men and women are trained to harden themselves so that they readily go from relationship to relationship. Sometimes there's a marriage oath made and broken and sometimes not. Going from one relationship to another really has become the national pastime. In fact, in many ways, um, we're not training our young people so much for marriage as we are for divorce. Because the church has largely adopted a worldly system of dating, the walls of protection for our children, which God has designed, have been broken down. We have provided our children with enough Christianity to ensure that they feel guilt when they fornicate, but not enough to ensure their purity. Our system of recreational dating has broken down, and it's time to return to a biblical pattern uh, for, getting, uh, for, for people getting together. And apart from biblical dating or courting, there are many destructive consequences, emotional, sexual, and spiritual. But if a young man seeks to initiate a relationship and takes full responsibility for the relationship under the woman's father, 
there is scriptural accountability and protection. Now, inevitably, objections come up. Objections to this assessment of the modern dating system uh, really can come rather easily. Why can't we, uh, why can we not point to the successes, to the happy endings in the modern dating system? Because this whole thing seems to work on television. Um, and we all have known people. Hey, they started dating when they were such and such an age. They were young, and they got married, and they're still married, and they have a family, and they go to church. You must be talking about the booths. Look, um, again, this isn't the time or place to tell our whole story, but I want you to remember when you're looking at the good stories, you're only getting to see probably the good part of the story. You're not seeing the whole story. There's more to the story. And, and, the, and that is not ever a good way to go about figuring out what's the way to do something. Find, you know, here, this, this worked out really good over here. He was driving 120 miles an hour, uh, and he drove like that for an hour, and he didn't have a wreck. So I guess it's okay to do that, right? In fact, I, I know several people who've driven 120 miles an hour and didn't have a wreck. So shouldn't we do that? Isn't that a good idea? You see, the, the fallacy there, the, the fact that somebody survived and made it is not a good way to go. Uh, that's not a good argument. Uh, people survive plane crashes, uh, but um, we don't recommend uh, crashing airplanes. So this relates to this Point, generalizations are legitimate if they're honest and they describe the overall problem. So we're dealing with generalizations. I'm saying in a general sense, the modern dating system is a catastrophe. It leads to all kinds of difficulties. It needs to be adjusted. I'm not advocating that it be thrown completely out. I think there are aspects of it that are perfectly fine. But if, if we just suck it all up, like a vacuum cleaner with no discernment and no wisdom, and we adopt what's around us, then don't be surprised. Generalizations are consequently not refuted through particular and individual counterexamples. No doubt there were some honest Pharisees that lived at the time of Christ, and they were not an embarrassment to Christ's scathing denunciations of their religious sect as a whole. Indeed, one indication of a Pharisee's honesty would be his willingness to acknowledge what Christ was saying about them as a whole. Thus, generalizations about recreational dating will not be universally true because they are generalizations. What we should ask from a generalization is whether it is honest and fair, not whether it is true in any given instance. A lot of times parents do this. Well... You know, when I grew up, my dad let me do such and such, and I turned out okay. I survived that. And, I mean, you can multiply that kind of statement and attitude gets made many, many times. It's a very anecdotal way of approaching 
things. And it's, it's um, as we've illustrated already, not a good idea. Success stories are not as abundant as assumed uh, through briefly glancing around the church. Christians are not as open about their behavior, perhaps, as pagans are, and properly so, out of decency and respect. Not everything is revealed. Our tendency is to judge based upon the outward appearance, and everyone at church sure looks moral. Y'all look pretty good right now. But many pastors in their premarital counseling go beyond such a cursory glance. And tragically, many pastors are now surprised when they find Christian couples who are behaving themselves sexually. You are? Great. The objective data concerning unmarried Christian couples in the modern dating game is not very heartening. So, I'm, I'm coming at this this morning, just kind of setting the table to point out we have a problem. Our culture has a problem. We're part of the culture. But we're called to change the culture, starting with the culture at our house and the culture in our church. That doesn't mean we're out to just see how weird we can be. I think we should, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, as long as what the Romans are doing isn't sinful. And we have to identify those things and not overreact and, and, and isolate ourselves from the culture, but we need to be examples. We need to be producing lovely, godly families. And so, um, the modern dating system does not train young people to form relationships. It trains them to form a series of relationships and further trains them to harden themselves to break up, uh, excuse me, harden, harden themselves to the breakup of all but the current relationship. At the very least, as I said before, the system is as much preparation for divorce as it is for marriage. Whenever the other person starts to wear a little thin, you just slip out the back, Jack, and start over. Further, the modern recreational dating system encourages emotional attachments apart from the protections of the covenant. What is the covenant? Let me just covenant is God's way of establishing relationships. He is the creator of us. He creates marriage, he creates the family, and each of us has a place, and each of us have responsibilities and duties. Think of it as a little kingdom or a little city or a government. And everybody has a place, and there are rules that govern everybody. There are things that fathers should do, must do. Those are his duties. And there are things he can't do. He's restricted. He can't sin. He has to honor God in what he does. Likewise for the wife and the mother, and likewise for the kids. And when, when everybody does what God calls us to do in that committed covenant relationship, it's a lovely place. It's a place of love. It's a communion of love. And when we don't do what he says, any one of us, then the city starts to become chaotic, starts to look like Chicago. And so without the covenant relationship, we're just going to send you out to figure it out on your own. You can expect disaster. Um, 
Further, the modern recreational dating system encourages, again, emotional attachments without the protections. This has been accurately called emotional promiscuity. A man and a woman cannot function within a romantic relationship without becoming emotionally vulnerable to one another. Now, there's nothing, uh, nothing is wrong with this vulnerability. It's just that we are delicate enough at this level to require protection before we enter into such a state. A protection which the Bible says is covenantal. You don't say something like, well, you're 18 now, you can do what you want. You're legally an adult, so go for it. And oftentimes that's the attitude of teenagers because they've picked up from the culture and they think I'm 18 now and I'm legally an adult and so you can't tell me what to do. And you can make that decision. You know, we got to think about this for a moment. I run into people who are they're not Christians. They don't believe what the Bible teaches. And I'm talking to them, and they have all kinds of beliefs that are contrary. They believe in evolution. They believe in all kinds of uh, other ideas. And, and they believe in abortion. They believe in, you know, you, you know the list. I can't make them believe what I believe. In fact, I can say, you know, you are free to keep believing that and keep practicing that. But what I know, because I read my Bible, is I know how that story ends. And go ahead, go for it. In fact, that's what God says in Romans 1. He says, you want to live like that? Go for it. See how that works out for you. Likewise in your homes, young people, if you want to thumb your nose at your parents who love you and are trying to protect you and give you guidance and, and get you to that safe place, and you want to thumb your nose to them because you're 18 and you're 19 or 20 or you're off at college and they can't tell you what to do and you're going to do it your way, go for it. Now, I'm, not a, I'm not recommending that, by the way. I'm recommending you don't do that, but if you do, then... As I say sometimes to people, you know what? If you keep doing what you're doing, or you keep not doing what you're not doing, and the disaster comes, and you call me for help, I will help you, but I will not feel sorry for you. Because you were warned. You know better. Look to the people who love you to lead you. Have an adult conversation with your parents and have a plan as to what, what's the best way to go about I was thinking about this the other day. There, we all have, we hear all kinds of testimonies and the Bible's full of those and there, there's a range of them, right? All kinds of people. And we tend to be attracted to the dramatic. You know, the the hell's angels who, you know, were converted. And they're, they're great stories. They're true. And then along comes somebody like Timothy, raised by a Christian mother and grandmother, grew up believing. You've known the Holy Scriptures from the time you were a nursing baby uh, that are able to make you wise unto salvation. Not a very dramatic story. But I was thinking about this the other day. If I had a group of young people, uh, and I said, all right, here's those two stories, and they're both... God's stories and how God works in different ways. I'm not taking away from any of them. But now you have children. Which one of those stories do you want for your kids? 
Which one you say, I, I get to pick, if I could pick one of these stories, do I want my son or my daughter to have that Hell's Angel story because it's dramatic and exciting, or do I want them to grow up and say, you know what, I never remember a time not believing in Jesus and not loving the Lord. That's not very dramatic, and it, it actually is. Just that we, we're not looking at it the right way. If we begin to look at it, we go, that's the best story. That's the story we want for everybody. That's, that saves a whole lot of trouble. Likewise, in this issue, you know, there's a right way and a wrong way to go about this. And so, a father who ought to be protecting his daughter's sexual purities ends up sending her off into the dark with some highly interested young man and then does what he thinks is his job. Uh, the father does what he thinks is his job, which is to worry. Well, dear, he says to his wife, we can only pray. Let's come to that. And he should worry because this system expects a certain amount of physical involvement. If you don't believe that, just uh, go out to eat uh, sometime and on prom night and just see how the girls are dressed. What do you think they got on their minds and what do you think the boys, I know what the boys have on their minds, but it's the prom. And so... The evangelical Christian version of this system only allows enough, um, well, enough foreplay. As long as you don't go all the way, as long as you don't do that. And so sometimes we think, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of freelancing here, but sometimes we think, uh, are we just obsessed about sex? Is that our deal? Are we some kind of prudes? Look, God made that. And he called it good. But he called it good in a context. And the context was marriage. It's fire in the fireplace. When you take the fire out of the fireplace and put it in the middle of the living room floor, it burns the house down. So it's not that it's not good. It's glorious. But the reason we're concerned is we see, you know how much of human history has been wrecked by sexual sin? And do you think anybody woke up one day and says, I think I'm going to go wreck my life today. I think I'm going to do something stupid and foolish and impulsive and destroy my future. Nobody says that. But a lot of people do it. And so that's why God put you in a family and put you in a church and put you somewhere where somebody else other than your impulses can drive the agenda. And wise Young people need to listen to the people who care for them and love them so that someday you can know the full joys and all the benefits of what it means to be in a loving covenant relationship with a godly husband and a godly, or a godly wife raising godly children. So we're out of time. Stop there. A lot more to say, and we'll get into some of the specifics, but I wanted to do the scatter shot here first. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because you love us and you tell us the truth. You tell us the truth about ourselves. 
You tell us the truth about sin. You tell us the truth about righteousness. And you tell us the truth about yourself. We thank you that you love us. You're our Heavenly Father. and You have given us what we need. We thank you for giving us families, for parents. And I pray for all the parents here that you'd grant them wisdom and grace and love and resolve and uh, to, to continue to love their children until they are in a safe place, established in you. And I pray for our young people that you give them a love for you and a desire to follow you and a resolve to not turn to the left or the right and not play around with these things, but to delight in knowing that you have a plan and that you love them. And if they'll follow that, they will know the blessings of your covenant. Bless us now as we prepare for worship in Jesus' name. Amen.